This is On Your Radar, a podcast series recorded at the studios of WGN Radio in Chicago. I'm John Williams, and this podcast series always includes the doctors and staff at Rosecrans. Today we'll visit with Dr. Greg Tierney, who is the Rosecrans, Inc. Vice President of Clinical Operations, and Patrick Miranda, who is a therapist at Rosecrans River North. Now, this is the first episode in our series about mental health and the workplace challenge. And in this episode specifically, we want to talk about burnout, why we're feeling more tired and mentally exhausted, and how this affects work life and home life, and how to tell the difference maybe between a few bad days and bigger issues. Is this something I need to tend to, or am I just in a little bit of a rut? Okay, we've got five minutes. Is that what you said, doctor? That ought to be able to... Yeah, sure. We we should handle this. Does that work for you? Yeah. Um, is this a if if that's the umbrella for what we want to talk about? Is that something that you're experiencing? Is that something that you see, doctor? Is that a a relevant conversation, especially now? It's definitely a relevant conversation, and appropriately so. Burnout is getting a lot of attention and research and media, and the the great thing about the research is that it's helping us understand it more. It's helping us understand the recent effects of COVID. It's helping us understand what we can do to intervene uh, to help prevent it from becoming a clinical disorder that then um, you know has more distress in somebody or brings more distress into somebody's life. But burnout isn't a, a clinical word, is it? It is not. It's a uh, an experience, a, a very negative experience, a distress that somebody's experiencing related to the kind of a disruption in the fit between the work environment and the person's values. And um, so it can be brought on by a lot of different things and different types of jobs actually have different types of triggers maybe for, for burnout. And, and um, people experience it very differently, but it has, a, it has at its heart common experiences of um, feeling less effective at work feeling exhausted, that would be emotionally, cognitively, and physically exhausted, and also feeling just kind of detached or depersonalized where we're not, we're not connecting with people. And maybe that's what you meant when you said values. You said that it's so stressful that it begins to sh- affect or show a change in people's values. What does that mean? A removal from our values or kind of a distancing from our values. So if I am... Um, putting in a lot of hours at work because I feel less affected if I'm, and I'm uh, essentially feeling pressure to get something accomplished. I'm putting more hours in. I'm, I'm robbing myself somewhere else. And I'm going to miss time with those, those people I love, those people who I just enjoy being with. I'm going to miss time at the gym, things that I do for myself to provide well-being. Is that what burnout looks like to you? Is that what you see walking in the door sometimes? Yeah, I would say that it's, you see a lot of the exhaustion um, and then difficulty with regulating mood would definitely be something that falls under that. And and with all of those things, you know, insomnia, so people are not sleeping well, people are not regulating themselves well throughout a day, and that affects everything from, like what Dr. Tierney was saying, how you relate with other people how you relate to your job, and just 
whether or not you're satisfied with life. And presumably these are things you're experiencing different than you had before, right? I mean, presumably these are people who had a level of satisfaction or could sleep or weren't on edge, right? Yeah, if we're talking about it as a as burnout, that that term, it would be people who had a certain level of engagement and then found that they were becoming more dissatisfied, right? As opposed to someone who came into work not liking that job already. Mm-hmm. Like that person... That person's already dissatisfied. I was talking to a school counselor not that long ago. She says, I used to love my job. I used to love my job. And now she's dealing with kids in school who, she says, now I spend a lot of my time as a school counselor. Instead of helping shape their lives and academic careers, Mm -hmm. I talk to them about fighting. I talk to them about suicide ideation. I talk to them about bullying on the phones, that the behavior of the kids is, the kids themselves, we've talked about this in other podcasts, Mm -hmm. are themselves a population that is experiencing stress via maybe the pandemic but Mm -hmm. the counselors that are having to deal with this are now telling me my job isn't fun anymore Uh, i i'll bet there's a burnout group right there definitely and her experience really exemplifies that uh, separation from our values you know she sought that job because of a passion for helping and then the some change or the reality of that job maybe not the idealistic uh, image of the job and and the real day to day activities uh, demonstrated that her values were not being met and she wasn't feeling fulfilled and and that does become exhausting to feel like hey I'm not accomplishing what I wanted to accomplish here. You talk to teachers and counselors sometimes. I don't have a I don't know that I have a lot of teachers on my caseload right now, um, but I that makes sense to me. It makes a lot of sense to me that you would see that shift in perspective on that work just because what you're looking at is different who's coming through the door and the problems and sometimes you get i have found a lot more people who are struggling with that sort of existentialism like you know i'm not really sure that things matter right now yeah what is my life worth what is it for why am i doing this that sort of thing yeah and that speaks to this um, inability to meet our values. Is we know that we know that when people are living a life in accordance with their values, they just feel better. And so, if your work is pulling you away from that, then you're not going to feel that great. This sounds kind of philosophical, though. You know, I think a lot of people just think oh, I'm just having a bad run right now. Um, I mean, yeah, there's a pandemic; everybody's under stress. Mm-hmm. So, I, I wonder maybe we should before we go too yes, far afoot sorry. here. Well, listen, I led you there, and I'm intrigued by this, but I suppose um, it's only natural for all of us to feel some degree of these things, wouldn't you say? Yeah. Those are – hate to stay in the philosophical there, but the, that's one of the challenges that everyone faces in life, that the challenge of meaning and freedom, um, isolation, those are – that's human experience, right? I think that we're talking about it when it's intensified, because of your work right and i'm wondering if of course it would be intensified because of a pandemic or because Mm -hmm. of the election cycle which just got done in 2022 and another one's coming in 2024 and then i think there's going to be one in 2026 you know i mean there are these um things that will maybe accelerate some of the feelings that we're going through and the question is how do i know that some of that's normal uh, doctor, you answer this first. Sure. How do I know I've crossed the line? Yeah, our experiences um, 
are on a continuum. So if we are having a, if I'm waking up, I just don't feel myself. I'm not feeling as energetic. I'm just kind of down today. Uh, that could be a very normal experience. We just, we have cycles in our moods, our energy levels. Uh, it might have been related to something that we're aware of. It might be something that we're not quite aware of yet. And that's okay. What our, if we're able to then go through our day and accomplish some of the things that are important for us, really two things, it was having a sense of purpose feeling like you accomplished something, and then having some enjoyment. If we can get those two things, a lot of people, most people can then have a different experience the next day or maybe even the afternoon. Uh, if that experience happens consistently when I'm going to work, then we might want to start thinking about what is the factor at work that we're wanting to look at, and, you know, more continuous experience of that. Yeah. It, I, it sounds a little insidious, though, isn't it? Like mm-hmm. maybe uh, I don't see it coming. It's creeping up on me. You said sometimes they don't know themselves what's causing this. Was that your experience as well? I mean, I suppose if I knew what I was going through and what was causing it, I wouldn't need you. <laughs> I say that to clients. <laughs> all the time. I, I say that to clients, yeah. You don't necessarily need me if you're meeting all of these things on your own. Um, but, yeah, I think that you really have to have a deep level of insight and awareness to notice that happening because it's a gradual thing. You know, unless something significant is happening at your job, you don't just go in one day and decide you hate it. Right? It's like it's building. Well, how would you suggest that somebody then, what's the wake-up call, either for them or their family, their friends, their colleagues? I mean, so how, if, if it is a continuum, what are some red flags? What are some markers, would you guys say? I think that one of the great things about therapy, and I'm not selling it, saying everyone needs to go to therapy, <laughs> but one of the great things about therapy is to learn some of our tells and, you know, thinking about a different subject, but anger. So, when I'm getting angry, I know I experience it personally as these things. And then I can, I can become more aware personally and have better management. If I'm not aware and I don't see it building up, then I don't manage it as well. And that goes for every uh, ex- ex- emotional experience with which we work uh, with our clients. So including um, burnout, depression, but it's not the same for everybody, then, you make it sound, too. No, definitely does it, not. Does it present differently with different people? Yeah. And in the same way that we know, right, like some people are just more likely to, say, be depressed than others, right? Some people are predisposed to things and environmental factors can elicit that, right, can start those things. But um, we also know that people just have different personalities and temperaments, right? And so we're going to experience stressors differently and then show them differently, right? Like Dr. Tuner was saying, you know, for me, I know that anger feels like this and I know that it looks like this, but some people, when they're angry, want to scream and some people want to punch things, right? So you'll see symptoms show in different ways. I don't know how much of that really was clarifying, but yeah. Yeah. And with burnouts, then that might look like 
well, I am just really tired and I just don't understand why. And over time, building that connection of when I'm feeling less effective at work, I notice that I start to feel more down in my energy level, whereas others might feel more irritable. Yeah, right, and, sure. Um, others might just feel like I'm not very good at work right now. Well, that's, I think that's a good answer then. If there's, if there's no single answer, better to know that because I would look at somebody and say, oh, they're okay because they don't have X. Mm-hmm. But maybe for somebody else it's Y or Z. But you guys are also making it sound to me like the lethargy, the disconnection, the loss of interest. Mm-hmm. That's how I would describe clinical depression. Are these related? How close is one to the other, would you say? Well, when we're looking at something clinically, we have to consider a few factors. Um, One is time. Uh, Then almost every diagnosis you're going to see a requirement of how long have the symptoms been presenting themselves. But then you also talk about how much distress is the person experiencing how much impact is that having on their day-to-day basis? How disruptive is it? Yeah. How dysfunctional are mm-hmm. they as a result? Yeah. Well, is one a precursor to the other, would you say? Is it burnout? It certainly could be. Yeah. It certainly could be. And that's, I think, mentioned earlier that something can move into a clinical issue, mm-hmm. that you can experience a life stressor, and then if you don't manage it well, then you can end up with something clinical but if we're talking about burnout now that is a thing unto itself it might not necessarily lead to clinical depression hopefully if you address it it doesn't lead to clinical depression Mm -hmm. but is it your experience doctor that it could does one maybe roll into the other it definitely could and a buildup of chronic stressors can wear down our uh, emotional resilience and lead to just a period of exhaustion that can be typified of uh, uh, of depression, and so and if burnout is chronic enough, continues and continues, it can build build up uh, and rob us of those things that are important to us, start to impair our functioning where we're we're not meeting the the needs in our role as a parent or uh, as a, an employee. Uh, separate, you know, more globally, I guess, than than uh, burnout did. Seems to me almost cliche after a few, two plus years into a pandemic to say, "Well, it's the pandemic," but maybe we can't underestimate. Would you agree with this? The impact that that has had on people's abilities to cope. Yeah, uh, you take a bunch of people and you make them stay by themselves and isolate and get rid of their ability to engage in activities that have helped them remain well in the past, and you're going to see people struggle more. Yeah. I think that that's just fair to say. I was going to add to that. So, sorry, the, um, in addition to taking away from the supports, but also adding additional stressors that COVID being a virus, you know, that didn't do it itself. But when our children didn't go to school, we were more responsible for their education. We were more responsible for their child care. That added a lot more to our plate. And we didn't we didn't have other things taken away from the plate, so it just yeah more exhaustion. Well, I, I did want to talk about education a little bit here. I mentioned it earlier just because I've talked to some teachers and counselors. My son works in a Chicago public high school, um, and I also wanted to talk about the medical profession because they were the first line that we talked about. They've probably been on the forefront of this longer than anybody. Mm-hmm. But since we've just talked about education a little bit. Um, 
can either of you just relate an experience, an anecdote, or talk a little bit about what teachers and, and s- school staff have been going through in the last couple of years? How about you go first? Sure, yeah. Um, now, this the kind of the situation that I really think about has less to do with COVID, even though it did happen during COVID. Um, you know, I've known a teacher who loved teaching, however, had a year, a, a cohort of students, uh, and these were young students, but a cohort of students where there was three that were just very difficult to manage. And the day-to-day activities became less about engaging with those students who were passionate about being there, just enjoying being there, and it became more about managing disruptive behavior. Um, and it really, it really robbed that person of that sense of fulfillment when they left their day. And over time, that, that did escalate to thoughts about leaving the profession and being done teaching. I saw a statistic that four out of ten teachers experienced burnout. That's their diagnosis. It might even be higher if somebody else, you know, assessed them. But that probably doesn't surprise you, four out of ten? It's a difficult job, for sure, to be able to manage that many uh, children, that many personalities at once. And uh, we have, uh, they hopefully have supports, but that's a lot to deal with and to be able to uh, take your passion to your interest in teaching and ho- hope that every child is going to be in that same place, that's just unfortunately not always true, and it can can lead to frustration. Well, that's the case under the best circumstances. Right. How do you motivate and engage kids? And yeah. then if they're just a blank avatar on a screen that you're talking to true. or a hybrid version of it, my goodness, that's tough. That's where my brain went is how do you get that value when you've got kids who don't even have their cameras on, you know, and you're just sort of talking to yourself into a computer, I could imagine for teachers that would take away from what they love about their job. Yeah, right, right. And then we'll get to this maybe in a minute, but then the question becomes, okay, so what does a teacher do, or what does anybody do? But if we're talking about teachers, Mm -hmm. how do they combat that? Because you're not going to make the pandemic go away. You're not going to erase your own personal history the last couple of years. There's some accumulated baggage there, so what do we do do about that? And I wonder the same about medical professionals. I wonder what their experience has been like. Uh, Doctor, I'll start with you again, but um, can you just comment just generally on how difficult it's been for um, doctors, nurses, uh, technicians that work in hospitals and medical centers. Yeah, a lot of the research right now is focusing on medical professionals, and a lot of that focus has to do with very long hours, which are both physically and emotionally exhausting. Uh, Being in uh, an environment, we'll say early covid where there was tremendous fear about the um, about the virus and about being infected, and what that if you brought it home to your family, that put a lot of strain on those uh, professionals, and added to what was already a physically exhausting work. Plus, then shortages in staff because of being out with illness added to their plate at work. Made made longer hours. Uh, I know I've heard stories where uh, professionals were sleeping separate from their families in order to protect them 
unfortunately, then that robs them of their their supports and their uh, their opportunity to balance the stress at work. And you may be dealing with people who come into the emergency room or the hospital, the doctor's office, and they won't get vaccinated or they won't wear a mask. That that was probably just another you know layer of the frustrating onion that they had to deal with too. Um, what what are your thoughts about the medical community and what they've gone through? Overall, with the pandemic, I'd say, in addition to all of those stressors that were mentioned, they saw a lot of people die. Um, and there's no way that doesn't impact you. So, and I, from my personal life, I have some people in my life who are doctors who have talked about that, you know, you're working with someone and then they're not there anymore. And so I could see how that would definitely make it hard to go into work you know when the pandemic first hit we talked so much about that and now it's been so long i don't think we do talk about that maybe enough on the radio or acknowledge that enough when we're going back to mainstream medical services we go these are the people that you know were wearing masks and hoping that they were going to be able to survive just doing their jobs um i and and the pandemic is still out there. The virus is still out there to say nothing of what the next iteration of it is. So I, I would imagine as much as hey, we're going to do another podcast in this series about firefighters, first responders, police officers and the stressors they go through. And we talk about how there's death by suicide in the police force or they're firing guns or or guns are being fired at them. But the medical professionals have watched or have to have been on the front lines of watching thousands and thousands of people get sick. Thousands of people have passed away. If that was your work world, how do you, how do you get through that, you know? Difficult. Difficult because a lot of the way that you manage trauma, uh, what humans kind of do naturally is to disconnect from it, right? To sort of pull away from the experience because it's overwhelming, Right, And so then you have the difficulty of you go home and now you need to process these things or find support in it. But in order to do that, you have to reconnect to all of your emotion. And that just over and over again, it's difficult. Yeah, I could see the attraction to not wanting to deal with it. But that's mm-hmm. that's only going to make it worse, isn't it? Yeah, yeah definitely. Uh, you, avoidance of our experiences can usually become a negative cycle of because uh, that avoidance doesn't last forever. And so we'll use, well, we'll talk about substance use, which burnout does relate to substance use, increased uh, use of alcohol and other substances. And that alcohol, that substance is going to wear off with the effect. And in order to, again, avoid, that's going to be using more and then more and leading to then more destructive outcomes than than we really intended with that avoidance. You know, if it started just wanting to not have a negative experience, we unfortunately, through avoidance, bring many more negative experiences. Suppose this is what beget quiet quitting a little bit, huh? People that kind of sleepwalk through their jobs a little bit these days, or they'd say, I don't know if you can do this as a medical professional, but um, you can in plenty of industries, and it's where you just say, okay, I'm going to go to work, but I'm not going to engage anymore. I can't handle it. Um, I don't want to do it, and I'm quietly quit. You're familiar with the phrase, right? Yeah, definitely familiar with it. It's uh, become very uh, out there in the in the media, and 
the I've also now started hearing uh, quick quitting. So, you know, I think that there's a lot of uh, evidence that this has been around forever. Hmm. And with the research I saw is that it's about a 2% increase. So is it an experience? Yes, it's an experience that people are, are having. Is it dramatically increased? I think we're still maybe a little early on that. Uh, I, th- I think in our talks um, that there's different ways of looking at quiet quitting, whether it is a I am done and I'm checking out, which would be kind of a, on the extreme, or is it I'm looking at my boundaries and what I can really accept as an employee would be another boundary. I think there's a range of how it can be viewed uh, from an employer who is viewing it as this person's checking out and, and not giving what they should be giving, then that can create a lot of difficulty in that relationship. Uh, and if the employee really believes that they're just checking their boundaries so they can manage and avoid burnout, that could create a lot of conflict between the two. Yeah, but as an employer, I think the, uh, a fair question is, does this person need discipline or do they need help? Uh, should I fire them or should I keep them on staff and, and, and get them some sort of therapy or counseling? And, yeah. and I, I don't know if you know which is which, you know. Oh, I would leave that question to the doctor on account of he has employees and I don't. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, but I think it is a fair question. I mean, if we're talking about what is it and how do I recognize it, um, I think some people are either they don't like their job or it's not that rewarding to them these days. And uh, listen, if you want to keep paying me, I'm working from home, I'm fine. Um, or is it somebody who has been so immersed in their work and and it's taking a mental toll on them. This is a person that needs help. And um, I think that's a fair distinction, isn't it? Yeah, I think that's a great uh, way to look at it and that the same behavior of uh, could be a result of exhaustion from the burnout or it could be that quiet quitting of just I'm pulling back. I'm not doing what I used to do. Well, do you guys – and we started this podcast talking about how everybody will maybe throw off different symptoms. So to say it's this – is maybe not applicable to everybody, but let's just talk a little bit more about that teacher, that nurse, or that doctor, and what are some of the possible signs that they would show that sh- that somebody should act on? Yeah, well, I think that's something that perhaps we didn't identify there is just how long does it take you to bounce back, right? Because we talked about, like, sometimes you just have a bad day, you know? and then when it's a string of bad days and you can't get yourself out of the funk, so to speak, then we're probably looking at a problem, right? But um, I would say that when it becomes a, I dread going to work, you know, a Sunday night and you're like, oh, I don't want to do this again, then maybe something's not working right. Um, and then if you're looking at family members and loved ones, if they're, let's say if they're pulling away, or if, they're, if you're finding it more difficult to engage with them, then maybe there's something going on with them that you would want to check in about. Yeah. What do you think? I think very similar in that uh, burnout can present in different ways. So it seems a bit counterintuitive, but some, some people with burnout will actually put in more work hours. And then that is a trade-off where they're, they're losing those connections at, at their home. And that would be their first indication. They might come to therapy because of a, uh, a marital conflict mm-hmm. and or difficult, just difficulty in the, in the home life. 
the source of that could have been that burnout. Whereas uh, someone else who is feeling exhausted and worn down and not taking care of themselves and, and feeling like they're worried that it could progress to a depression, they might come in more just because of their own uh, loss in their life. Are there populations that have fewer resources and so this situation is more acute? Yeah. Um, something that I've talked about with other people is that when you start getting into the nitty-gritty of things like burnout, you also you can't ignore structural issues um, which include things like class right and some people just don't have the same means or access to services than others and then also some of us just have more responsibilities Um, not necessarily including myself in that right but you know there are people who have to work multiple jobs in order to support people to support their families to support themselves and so what does burnout look like there right it's it's different. It's a different kind of conversation, I think, that touches more on structural structural issues. Well, if you're, you know, it's interesting because um, if poor people, people who work in multiple jobs, maybe in the city of Chicago, it might be um, minority populations as well. Um, they're not only going to feel more stressors then, but they're going to have fewer resources if they don't have the income, if they don't have the insurance plans, if they don't have the support networks or sympathetic supervisors because they're working two jobs. Mm -hmm. um, It's going to be harder on them, and the double whammy is they're going to have fewer resources to cope with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, when we talk about also, like, what do you do about burnout, a lot of the things that we're – like the wellness things that we talk about – if you don't have time to engage in those things, then uh, what do you do then? I heard somebody, uh, the number, usually it's like oh, a half an hour, 20 minutes of exercise a day, three or four days yep. a week, something like that. But, I've, but some of the numbers I heard, I thought, I don't, even if I was that ambitious, I don't have the time to put in the exercise that I don't want to do. So I should exercise and work on breathing techniques, and I should drink less, and I should reach out to my mm-hmm. siblings or family members that I can t- trust. But um, uh, you're right, some of those things just aren't, on a day-to-day basis, very practical, I think, for some people, too. Uh, uh, what are you thinking about that, about resources for individuals and marginalized populations? Yeah, my, my mind goes to the types of jobs that that person might have. They might not be choosing a job because it's rewarding. We've talked about positions that see, people seek. I am passionate about this. And, and instead, it may be a job. It might be a a contractual agreement of, hey, I'm going to put in this many hours, you're going to pay me this much amount of money. And and that might actually in some ways be protective. Yeah, right. Of like, hey, I'm, you can leave it I'm at done home. when leave I'm out work, of here. Yeah. Uh, but it also could be uh, a, a real negative where if there are factors you brought up, you know, a dis- disagreement with the, the supervisor or a bad relationship with their supervisor, there might be less resilience there to tolerate that or more or less um, desire to to tolerate that, uh, or even just uh, less resilience to endure the added stress. Like, hey, I was already giving a lot. Now you're taking even more from me, uh, and I don't have the resources to quit and go seek a job. I'm I feel stuck. Does the LGBTQ community feel this any differently than the rest of the population? Um, does that something that you guys encounter or? talk about or manage for folks yeah um i would say with any minority population right but if we're talking about queer people in particular then 
you're looking at the stressors of already being treated differently in society or having to mask, um, change the way you present, be careful about how you look, how you're talking to people, in addition to whatever additional stressors your work is now um, like giving to you. Sure. So it's uh, You're just piling on things. I suppose the isolation, too, that we all go through during the pandemic or various episodes of our lives, if I did feel, uh, I don't mean to overstate the case, but if right now I feel marginalized as a member of a community, then a pandemic is just going to make me feel even less enfranchised, uh, less hopeful, less connected, right? Yeah. um, I could speak a little bit to like the LGBT population insofar as in that group, a lot of socialization comes through going out and um, so like gay bars and things. And well, when the pandemic took those things away, then you, a lot of people lost any sort of connection. Well, what factor do you all think that either for marginalized populations or the population in general, what factor did social media, our smartphones play? Did it connect us or did it make things worse? Yeah, that's a tough one because I think it's both or different for different people. And um, unfortunately, things aren't so clear on that. The, what there is, what we have learned is that some people can do it right, where they can feel genuine connection with others. Whereas others who are kind of that term doom scrolling mm-hmm. and are just avo- I've heard that avoiding. Recently. Is that a new phrase, doom scrolling? I think it's been for a little while. I, 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 I'm, I'm not always as connected yeah. with the hip phrases, Same. but a few years. That's yeah. a thing. Okay, I'm out of school then. <laughs> uh, keep going. So yeah. So if you are using, if, if it becomes an avoidance and a voyeurism of and and comparing myself to others and and of course people post. Well, usually what's great in their lives. And today, my life is not as good as that. I'm not on the beach. Like, I'm going to feel uh, a negative experience. So it really can be used both ways. I think a really important part in there is your boundaries with it and how are you going to utilize it. Are you utilizing it to connect with people you value and care about who are meaningful to your life? I want to see the pictures of these family members, these friends. I want them to see you know what my family is going doing, uh, or again, is it just this passive avoidance that uh, your brain does get when you see something new? Your brain does get a, a little bit of reward of dopamine, and, yeah, right, and that little bit can be addictive in a way. Yeah, it's a little bit, and then the next picture is a little bit, the next video is a little bit, yeah. and those those platforms are designed to keep you wanting to look at more. But I think that the comparison issue is one that I've definitely come across with a lot of the younger folks I see. And, well, look at their lives and how well they're doing based on the social media other people are posting. And then they look at themselves and they go, okay, I must be doing something wrong. So... I think that that stressor in social media is a very real thing. Or I'm inferior, at least. I'm not as mm-hmm. uh, I'm not having the life they're having. Yeah, and I've messed something up along the way. And then, because this is just like anecdotal sort of things, right? But in working in the substance abuse field for a long time, that you have clients who see social media and their peers that they grew up with, 
going through and like with jobs and families, having kids, buying houses. And they're like, well, I was just homeless because yeah. I was using. Yeah, right. And so sure. there's there's that pressure. I know that took us away a little bit from where we were at. But. No, but you know, you made an interesting analogy, I think, and that is um, addiction to social media and the dopamine hits that I'm getting and addiction to drugs or alcohol. I wonder if I don't want to overstate the case, but uh, I see people with their noses and their phones, and it creates, I think, a lot of the things that you don't like about being addicted to drugs or alcohol. There's disassociation. There's a lack of uh, functionality because you're addicted to your phone and not uh, it's taking you away from your normal life. Um, that's a real thing, isn't it? Addiction to social media or your phone, or am I making that up? Maybe it's not the same, but it sure seems to me like it's it can be destructive. Yeah. Uh, we do talk about th- some things as like process addictions, um, which would be different than your chemical ones, right? Um, things like gambling would mm. fall under that. Um, so we do talk about those kind of things. And then I think there was, a, even in the DSM, they added a, a reference to like video games. Mm. Um, but... I can't remember that for sure, so maybe don't quote me on it. But we do know that 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 is an, that's something that exists, and it runs along the same reward patterns in your brain. Though, when you're talking about substances, you certainly are intensifying mm-hmm. the amount of neurotransmitters that are impacted. But yes, I, it totally could be um, if it met all the criteria. Because when we also look at addiction, where mostly I think um, most of the criteria is behavioral. Um, so you're lo- looking at social withdrawal, impact on work, or um, dysfunction in family, um, and then you have a few that are related to actual substances like withdrawal. What happens to families then? So uh, wh- what's the impact on the family? If I'm the person that is going through burnout, what happens to my family as a result of all of that? So real quick uh, comment on on the impact of of really maybe negative or not healthy coping skills like you know scrolling through things and uh, alcohol use and substance use is that we start to de- diminish or deplete our our own resilience and then we go to work and the same stressors that we experienced two years ago feel different to us and so and we might then focus externally saying, you know, my my manager, this or this job, this. And we might be, we might be missing that, unfortunately, over time, we kind of changed our own perspective of what we can tolerate. And it's really important for us to own that part of, you know, when I look at myself, I want to know that I can uh, stand up to a challenge and face it, overcome it, even though it's difficult, even though it's stressful, I'm going to be able to be successful. And some of these avoidance strategies that, that we use change that narrative in our mind saying, I don't have to do that or I can't do that, which is really a negative uh, message to ourselves. Hmm. Well, then let's close on this, gentlemen. Um, so how do we avoid burnout? How do we 
let's let's give our listeners beyond red flags um, just some tools. What are some things that either I as the individual or I as the loved one of the individual can maybe recommend they they do? What are some ideas along those lines? What do you tell them in therapy? What's the first step even, you know? Ah, um, well, I like to do a, a couple things. One is sort of to look at wellness. Um, and so you look at the different areas of a person's life and to see if there's anything that's not functioning well. Obviously, work would be one of those, but you could identify perhaps other areas that are being affected, like socializing, like exercise, like sleep structure. Um, and then let's see if we can work on those. Um, but I also like this idea, um, I believe it's Dr. Sandra Dalton-Smith, who talks about different types of rest people need. And so if you can try and incorporate all of those areas into your life, there's physical rest, mental rest, social, spiritual, Hmm. sensory, um, emotions, and creative. And so if you can look at those things and see if you can increase the amount of rest you're getting, then perhaps things will get a little bit easier. It's interesting because I I would imagine that you would address the stressor because that's what's keeping you from getting rest. You're suggesting that if as a result I'm not getting rest, address the rest as well. Almost treat that as a, a separate entity. Yeah. Well I always like to like let's let's do them both. Why if we look like why not? Yeah. Why not try and, yeah. and work on things? But um often people can't leave their work right and so we're looking at what can we do um, and we're trying to take our own accountability in that then it's usually other things that we can change i can own my rest patterns and uh, maybe commitment to it i don't know anybody that's sleeping well these days so (laughs) so i'm glad to hear you say that Um, but let's just add on to that what about that doctor Um, uh, we're talking about things i can do things i can do to help someone else sure so going back to that idea of approach uh, being more effective and, and healthier than avoidance. So there's a term kind of coming up that's called job crafting. If we can partner with our employer, partner with our manager and and evaluate in my job, I'm really strong in these areas. And these ones really are outside of my scope. Like I'm not, I'm failing in these areas or I'm struggling. Either I need support and development in these areas so I can feel accomplished like i'm contributing because employers want employees want to contribute and uh or the employer can say hey you are so strong in these areas we're going to shift your focus and allow you to you know just knock out of the park in in these areas you don't change the workload you change the focus which can be uh, an incredible relief to both you know it can uh, allow each to have a satisfactory outcome uh, from the from the agreement and but what it takes though is approach and it takes a willingness to come to your employer and say here's my experience right now and with that would also be seeking out their EAP and looking for the support that you can have an avenue for emotional support. You know, talking to a a professional, even for a few sessions, can really be uh, a great start to a a, uh, kind of return to well-being. What's the AP stand for? Employee Assistance Program. Yeah. You know, um, I'm thinking about boundaries, too. I wonder if it would make sense to talk to your employer or just agree with yourself that 
um, you know, at five o'clock, I'm not going to work anymore, or I don't know what other kind of boundaries there are that we could set, but find a way to sort of cordon off some of those issues that are troubling us. Does that make any sense to you guys? Yeah. Well, I've also heard with some of my clients that their employers are doing that for them, that their their boss is saying, hey, it's after five, why are you emailing um, and trying to inf- help them with that? Um but I also have a client that I've been working on with that in terms of like, you put in your hours already today. Do you have to attend this 10 o'clock meeting at night? Or is that something you can talk to your team about? Um, so, but if we also talk about like quitting just at five, then are we not talking about like, should we be quiet quitting? Um, you know, no, but, but I, I but yes. I, well, it's easier said than done, and I'm I'm, I'm a poor example of it. It's more, <laughs> but you know, that's more a function of my industry. I'm in the, I'm in the news talk business, and it's a 24 hour news cycle. But then I suppose being a teacher or a medical professional, I mean, um, probably all of us could justify or explain how we need to work past five because the world never stops. Um, I like the idea of setting some sort of um, physical or time-centric boundary uh, that might at least turn the valve off of stimuli, you know? Yeah, I like that idea, too. And so, like, one thing you could do, and this is something that perhaps I practice myself sometimes, is just don't bring the laptop home, yeah. right? Like, there are ways you could take a tangible action there, Um but also, if you can communicate with your employer and you have someone who's willing to work with you, then that's great. You know, it's funny because when that happens, when we leave our laptop or our phone somewhere else, it's usually a whole new stressor. But that's because we did not plan on doing it. But if I, if I engaged proactively and said, no, I'm looking forward to not having my laptop with me this weekend or after five, I've unplugged it, um, that, might, that might be a, a completely different experience. It is. It is different when you are consciously choosing, um, where you are aware of why you're making the choice and what you expect the choice to give. I would, I would uh, recommend you know just talking openly with your supervisor about that because if if they are trying to get a hold of you and they don't realize you don't have the phone, that might cause a different stressor. Um, however, that goes to what can organizations do, and that that employers are uh, learning that that it's important to support long-term health of their employees to retain individuals rather than having people come experience burnout, leave, and going through this uh, really insidious cycle because Mm. burnout, a really important part of burnout is that it's contagious. There's an emotional contagion that people who are around somebody who's in a burnout phase will start feeling more negative, and that's both at work and at home. And so employers really are learning more about this and about the importance of helping an employee manage it successfully so that to avoid uh, burnout. It's no fun being around a, a burnt-out person. Definitely not. Because now you're dealing with it. People that deal with alcoholics aren't alcoholics, perhaps, but their life has changed and it's more difficult. Mm-hmm. Maybe a person having to manage around somebody else who's experiencing burnout, um, they have some sort of burnout syndrome themselves. Well, yeah. If I'm working with someone and they're burnt out and so their work is not where it was or should be 
who's doing the work then. Sure, you're describing a colleague. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking of the family members they come home to as well. Yep. A burnout mom or dad or sibling is no fun. Yeah, yeah. a parent who isn't able to really engage in their with their children in a way that is healthiest. Amen to that. And so I guess the last thing I would just ask you guys to comment on, and isn't it the truth, um, all the one common thing about all of these is is communication. You've got to talk to your boss, or you've got to be honest with your boss. You've got to be honest with yourself. You've got to talk to your spouse. And if you don't have somebody that's in that realm, you need to be finding somebody that you can relate these things to, be it a therapist or, or I don't know who. You know, connection is very important to people. Uh, we are uh, social animals, and we we find true value out of feeling understood so just that simple even if there's not a solution if somebody hears us and we feel genuinely listened to that actually does downregulate our emotional experience so even just being heard can help us feel better any last bits of advice or observations from uh, either of you uh, um, options or tools for people or just um, some uh experience that people might be going through i think we've touched on it pretty well yeah i think the one key piece is that you know it's it's difficult because it's not such a simple subject of black and white this is what it is Uh, but it's also uh, a a good part about it is that we can look at interventions on the individual level at the organizational level we can look at in the society how do we how do we support the idea that we we have resilience in the in our population you know how do we coach uh, people how do we introduce to schools about how to build resilience yeah. that's interesting i've not heard it put that way before we're so interested in a society about the gross, gross domestic product or our fifth graders achieving on grade but are we as a society embracing resilience are we talking about how to be more resilient especially when we're all facing a pandemic or whatever the next pandemic is going to be uh, all of those other factors all of those other metrics would probably do better mm-hmm. if we had more emotional mm-hmm. mental physical stamina yeah yeah if we were better perhaps as a society in teaching teaching kid, children and teaching ourselves how to recognize identify and talk about our emotions well, I hope we've done a little bit of that here. That's Patrick Miranda, therapist at Rosecrans River North. And also joining us on this podcast, Dr. Greg Tierney from Rosecrans, Inc., the vice president of clinical operations there. Most interesting, gentlemen. Thanks for joining us. Today. Thank you very much. Thank you. This is On Your Radar podcast series produced by WGN Radio and the doctors and clinical staff at Rosecrans. With over 60 locations throughout Chicagoland, Northern and Central Illinois, Wisconsin, and Iowa, help is just a click or call away. Click on rosecrans.org or call 866-330-8729 for more guidance and information. Rosecrans, life's waiting. Life's waiting.